So for the past two years, I have loved watching the Netflix hit show, Stranger Things. Stranger Things, yeah, it's a great show. It's, it's an 80, 1980s coming-of-age show. Tells you a little bit about how old I am. With a sci-fi twist, there's a secret government agency that has created a massive energy surge that has opened up a portal into an alternate universe that's called the Upside Down. And most of the show is about figuring out kind of how to live in the Upside Down. And this weekend, this Sunday, is kind of like that for many of us. There's been a massive energy surge from Thanksgiving to Christmas, and now we kind of find ourselves in an alternate reality, living in between then and now, sort of an alternate universe. We're in between Christmas and New Year's, in between 2018 and 2019, in between eating dessert and going on a diet, in between watching football and a new gym membership, in between, mercifully, U of M's last game and the next season, which we know will be better. It's an in-between Sunday. And the question is for us, how do we deal with that? But as I begin, I want to give a huge shout out to Grace Ann Arbor West, my home turf, to all our volunteers and staff there. Over the past year, you have been living in a great in-between reality between the vision of a new site for Grace and launching a new site. And about nine weeks ago, we had a massive energy surge and launched our new site. And I am so proud of you and so excited about what God is doing in and through Grace Ann Arbor West. And it's my privilege to serve as your pastor. For all of us, we have moments of being in between things. And I don't know what your in-between universe is like. You might be right now in between semesters of school. You might be in between the end of the semester and the beginning of a new job. You might be in between vacation and work, between overspending and your next credit card bill, between where you live now and your next stop. You might be between having a baby and raising a child. You might be somewhere in between who you used to be and who you will be. You might be between a rock and a hard place, and you might be somewhere between struggle and victory. And I wonder how you're doing with your in-between world. And that's such an important question because the truth is, in-between times make up most of our lives. The important events require major energy searches from us, but then when they're done, we sometimes find ourselves asking, okay, now what? I'm reminded of a quote by the Russian playwright Chekhov who says, any idiot can face a crisis. It's the day-to-day -day living that wears you out. You know that feeling. It's that feeling of how do you live in between the day-to-day -day realities. Part of my day-to-day -day realities uh, this fall was living in between the ceiling and the floor at Grace Ann Arbor West. We have 20-foot ceilings, and part of the reality of having church in a building that isn't finished being built is that every week you've got to spend a lot of time on ladders, especially uh, our worship leader at Grace Ann Arbor West, John Watkins. Love you, John. Uh, John and I were up on ladders all the time, hanging screens and pulling cables and one time I found myself with John holding the base of a 12-foot ladder and me standing up on the very top step that you're not supposed to stand on, reaching as high as I could to grab hold of a cable to pull it through the top of a wall. And I realized at one point that I had hold of the cable with one hand and my other hand, I had nothing to hold on to. I was actually up in between two walls on top of a ladder and boy, did it feel good to put my hand on that ladder rung and get down on solid ground. 
Today we've got some solid ground with some great handholds to help us in living in between worlds that we have. It's from Psalm 90. Psalm 90 is one of the oldest psalms in the Bible. It comes from the time of Moses and the people of God, and it neatly divides for us today into three sections, and it's going to give us three handholds for living in the in-between. I'm going to read through Psalm 90 right now. You can follow along on your phone or tablet or a Bible if you have one, or you can just follow along on the screen as I read. Here we go. Lord, you've been our dwelling place through all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You've set our secret sins before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, O Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Well, the first and most important word for us from Psalm 90 that leads to our first handhold is the word certainty. This means sureness. And we can see this especially in verses 1 and 2, where we see throughout all generations, before creation or even time existed, into the timeless future of eternity, God has existed. God gives us certainty. He gives us that not as a concept or a theory, but by providing in his own person a home for our souls, a dwelling place, a grounding center for our life in between. It's helpful when we see this to know that little bit of the history of Psalm 90. It comes from the time of Moses, from the time when God put forth a great surge of energy to release his people from Egypt, to bring them to the promised land. And along the way, they were living in a great in-between time. And along that way, uh, God gave them directions. He said, when you set up my home, the place where you worship me, you're to set it up right in the middle of where you live, right in the midst of your camp as you're traveling along, so that you can always know that I'm there with you right in the midst of your living in the in-between. And this is pictured for us in the second half of the Bible in the holiday that we just celebrated in Christmas where we see Jesus, God in the flesh, God coming and making his home, his dwelling with us. In fact, he's given the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
And that's so important for us because God knows that in the in-between realities that we experience, we face deep uncertainties. That's what these next verses in the psalm remind us of. They remind us that God sees all of time in the blink of an eye, even though for us, we can't see the future and we live with great uncertainty in the present. About a year ago, the last 12 months from 2017 all the way into the beginning of 2018, I was living in a great in-between time of uncertainty. Through God's grace and his work in my life and heart, I had planted a church years before, and and we were doing all right and moving forward, but I began to sense a restlessness in, in my soul, an uncertainty about where we were headed as a church, and I began to explore that and lift that up before God and seek his direction. Now, God knew that where he was leading me was actually here to grace, to help plant Grace Ann Arbor West, but I didn't know that at the time. And if you were to read through my journal, all of 2017, you would see great uncertainty and all the feelings that go with that. Feelings like restlessness and anxiety and confusion and deep concern about where God was leading me and what he was doing with my church. What I didn't know at the time was he was leading us to merge into grace, but but I had no idea. What I knew was that I was uncertain, and I had a lot of feelings that went with that. And I don't know uh, where you're at in your in-between time, if, if you know that feeling of uncertainty or the other feelings that go along with us. But it's worth thinking about because there's a lot of offers out there to provide certainty to you in the midst of your uncertainty. Think for a minute about the media, about Fox News and MSNBC or whatever you happen to listen to. The narrative underneath all the talking heads is basically this. We live in deeply uncertain times, but our perspective, our opinion, what we have to say will give you certainty. But you got to come back tomorrow night and and watch us again. Retailers kind of pick up on this too, right? They want to soothe our uncertainties with uh, something that we would refer to as retail therapy. Many of us hope that our insurances one day will cover retail therapy so we can spend a little more, but so far, that hasn't happened. And we know, right, all of us know, that politics and purchases don't provide soul certainty. Can I say that again to you? Politics and purchases don't provide soul certainty. Psalm 90 proposes a different response to the uncertainties of our in-between. Psalm 90 tells us that certainty, God's certainty, actually brings us rest. Certainty brings us rest. It's interesting here, as this psalm uses this phrase, you can find the same phrase uh, uh, that, that is here, dwelling place, earlier in the Bible. The word dwelling place here means refuge or place of rest, not so much a, a fortress, but the kind of rest that we receive from a loving parent. So if you look back at Moses' great prayer of blessing for the people of God as they were coming to the end of their in-between time, you can read these words, the eternal God is your refuge. It's the same word from Psalm 90, dwelling place, and his everlasting arms are under you. These are the the arms of a parent. This is the same idea from Psalm 131. I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Just like that child's voice back there. 
You can see here a great picture uh, from one of the first kids born to the Grace Ann Arbor West family. This is Nathan and Megan and their beautiful daughter, Mia. And you can see her sitting there, surrounded by arms of rest and a great place of refuge. It's a great picture for us of rest. And we need that rest. We need that picture. Because in the in-between, uncertainty actually brings us fatigue. We find ourselves chasing down certainty and getting tired from it. In fact, our culture celebrates that tiredness and fatigue. One pastor who writes about rest says, our culture invariably supposes that action and accomplishment are better than rest. Another author who wrote a book on rest, Lynn Babb, she interviewed a young Christian mother who was striving to honor God and raise her young child. And this mom said this. She said, I didn't know I was allowed to rest. Wow. How many of you have felt that? I'm not a young mom, but that's a statement that I could make. You see, deep down in my soul, right in the in-between layers, in deep uncertainty, there is a lack of of rest. I sometimes tell people that I'm a recovering perfectionist. And by that, what I mean is that one of my areas of brokenness is that I drive hard to achieve certainty, to achieve sureness in my world around me. And I've discovered, actually, that it doesn't really work. That when I'm driving that hard, I find myself unrested or even unpleasant. You can ask my wife, or ask my kids, or ask one of my many therapists. Actually, don't ask them. You don't want to hear the rest of that. Listen, for 2017, for me, was a great year of uncertainty, not just about my career and not just about my church or my sense of calling. There was an existential reality to it. I felt uncertainty in my soul, and what God was doing in that time was leading me towards the rest that he has to offer. In your moments of in-between, do you feel worried or anxious or even just really fatigued? Let me tell you, the worst thing people like us can do is to put rest on our to-do list. Instead, in an in-between time, in a quiet moment between you and God, open your hands to take hold of the rest that God has for you and ask this question, which uncertainties trouble my soul. Which uncertainties trouble my soul? Psalm 90 says, God offers certainty that brings rest. Psalm 90 goes on and it brings us to our second word and our second handhold. And this word is the most difficult word for us from Psalm 90. It's the word limitation. Limitation, it's difficult because we don't like limits. We crave unlimited everything. Unlimited bandwidth, unlimited spending, unlimited eating, unlimited watching. I read an interview with the uh, CEO of Netflix, and he tells about a time when some of his employees were worried about other streaming services and how Netflix could compete with them. And he said, you've got it wrong. We're not competing with them. We're, we're competing with sleep. Actually, this is what he said in the interview. He said, you get a show or a movie you're really dying to watch, and you end up staying up late at night. So we actually compete with sleep. And listen to what Reed Hastings says. We're winning. We're winning. 
And you know that, right? Maybe you're like me. You get to the end of an episode, and it's a cliffhanger. And, and what you're thinking is, I, I don't need sleep. I need answers. i got to work it out. In the in-between, we struggle with sleep and with calories and with anxieties because we struggle with limits, like what we know and don't know, what we can and can't do, what's possible and what's impossible. It's hard to admit what we know deep down is true. We're limited. We're limited physically and morally and spiritually. That is, we do and say and think things we regret, and then we don't do or don't say or don't think things that we know we should. So... Let's just do a little experiment here. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if in the in-between, between Thanksgiving and now, you've done or said things you regret. Now, let me just tell you, you can raise your hand. I'm not going to call you out. I'm going to encourage you. If you've done anything in the last in-between time of your life that you regret or said anything, just raise your hand across all locations. Raise it high. Now, see, here's how you can be encouraged. You can look at everyone who didn't raise their hand and say, man, at least I didn't lie in church. Psalm 90 keeps us honest because it points out our limits, our physical limits, like our years are limited. We know that. Verse 8 tells us that we're morally limited. From God's perspective, we exceed our moral limits all the time. This psalm talks about our secret sins. The word there is really interesting from the ancient Hebrew. It's hidden information, secret information like the information Facebook gave to 150 companies about you and all of your habits and all of your friends' habits. Psalm 90 tells us that God's actually read all our email. He's seen all of our browsing habits, every social media post. He knows all our passwords. He knows what we're doing when we're not online. He knows what we do. He knows what we think. And even if we're limited... And we can't admit that. God knows it. Psalm 90 tells us we're even limited in our ability to know and understand God. If we only knew, God, more about you. And then it talks about anger, about God's anger. Five times in this psalm, the words for anger are mentioned. And this can be a really hard part of this psalm or any part of scripture that talks about God's anger, especially if you hear God's anger and what you think or what comes to mind is irrational, unpredictable uh, temper from a parent who's just flying off the handle or a politician who uses anger as a weapon. God's anger is best understood as that feeling that we can have when we take a hard look at the injustices in the world, when we look at labor camps in China that make clothes that we wear, when we think about the internment camps in North Korea, when we think about the forced famine by proxy wars that our government is involved with in Yemen, when we think about the waves of anti-Semitism that spread across Northern Europe, when we think about the mass shootings in the U.S., when we think about the inequities and injustices that we know exist in our legal and prison systems, what we would have to say is that any God worthy of our worship would be angry at these injustices. One person of color said last year in a, in a commentary or on an interview, I can't remember where I heard this, but, but what they said is, if you don't like to think about God's anger, it's because you have never personally dealt with injustice. 
I was having lunch a couple weeks ago with a representative from Destiny Rescue. This is one of our strategic partners who rescues girls and women trapped in the sex industry in Cambodia and Thailand. And he was having lunch with our location pastor in Canton, Zach, and myself, and, and one of my interns, to, to tell us a little bit about Destiny Rescue's work. And as he began to share about the average age of the girls that they rescue, the average age is 15. And then he went on to share that many of those girls are younger than that, sometimes 10 and 12 and 13 years younger than that. And as I was sitting across from them listening, I saw Zach's face. Now, Zach, the pastor in Canton, is one of the warmest, most relational, soft-spoken, gentle guys I've met. And as he heard from this representative, I saw a flintiness come into his eyes and, and his jaw set a little bit, and he said, I, I wish I had the spiritual gift of strangling some people. I was like, whoa, he's angry. Imagine God's anger at that situation. Now, when you think about all those injustices around the world, it's, it's also pretty easy to, to let yourself off the hook, right? I mean, my wife doesn't get angry with me because I'm starting a, a proxy ward or internment camp. She, she actually gets angry with me for different reasons. My everyday injustices, my lesser wrongdoings, my petty selfishness, my arrogant assumptions, my perfectionistically driven outbursts. I'm pretty sure that many times I basically just look like this guy to her, right? I want to rumble about dishes and laundry and spending and clutter and schedules and, of course, the thermostat. Now, before you punch the ticket for me to get on the my pastor is a sinner train, how, how about you and your limitations, your small injustices and day-to-day -day wrongdoings? When are you ready to rumble with the people around you? And how do these show up as you work out your own life in the in-between? Psalm 90 invites us to understand that there's some commonalities that we share. Philosopher Alexander Solzhenitsyn says, the battle line between good and evil runs through the heart of every man. The representative from Destiny Rescue went on during this lunch to tell us about how during one of his tours, because he was telling us about the tour that we were going to go on, they were walking through the red light district. And as he was walking along, he looked up and he saw a Caucasian man walking towards him. Now, uh, in that part of the world, in the red light district, there is only one reason why a Caucasian man is walking alone by himself in the red light district. And that man looked up and his eyes met the representative who was talking with me and they quickly looked away in shame and embarrassment. My representative there said, said to me, he said, you know, in that moment, I saw God's deep heart and compassion, not just for the women and children who were trafficked, but for the people in the trafficking industry themselves. Psalm 90 invites us to admit our deep connection with the deep and broken limitations of humanity and invites us to do that before a God who says he's our refuge. He knows our limitation. That's why we see in the second half of the Bible God himself, Jesus, stepping right into our limitations, into our physical, moral, and spiritual limitations. Jesus voluntarily 
gave up the unlimited reality of eternity to take up the finite realities of our world. And so he took on all of our injustices, all of yours and all of mine, and he placed himself directly under the wrath of God so that we might experience God's salvation. We might know the refuge of the Father and come home to him and have our hearts find rest. So the middle part of Psalm 90 ends with this hopeful prayer. God, help us understand our limits, measure our life, count it up properly, have wisdom to deal with our physical and moral and spiritual limits. In the Bible, wisdom, wisdom is not just some ethereal idea. It's the power of God to align our values or beliefs with our actions. And Psalm 90 verse 12 is a prayer saying, God, we have no power without you. And this is the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And that's so important for us to understand because in the in-between, we're often afraid to admit our limitations because we're pretty sure it will result in restrictions. Eat less, buy less, watch less, and we don't want any limitations to constrain us, in part because we can't see or admit that unlimited consumption is a kind of bondage. But the first step towards freedom is to actually admit real limitations. I have several friends who are in recovery from various kinds of addictions. And, you know, when you talk with people in recovery, they have a lot to offer. And one of the things that they have to offer is an understanding that the first step to true freedom begins when we can admit that we're so limited, that we're powerless without God to change our lives, without God to answer prayer for wisdom. That is the power to align our beliefs and our action. That's the truth that this psalm brings to us. It's this truth, this truth that limitation brings freedom. Limitation brings freedom. That might kind of look a little bit wrong on the screen to you, but, but it's a biblical principle. Paul wrote, when I am weak, then I am strong. Jesus said, whoever loses his life for me will save it. That's why we see these words in the scripture where it talks about how when we confess our sins and follow Jesus, we experience freedom. And it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. I was in a meeting with some of the coaches for community groups, uh, both here at Grace Ann Arbor and also at Grace Ann Arbor West, and, and I heard this great story from one of our community groups in the fall where that night at the community group meeting was kind of a smaller group, and there was a new person coming for their very first time, and they kind of did their community group as they usually do, and, and they were a little concerned because there was authenticity and sharing and honesty, and they were wondering whether that made the newcomer feel like they were kind of an outsider. And as he was leaving, he said, no, 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 I don't feel like an outsider. I was amazed and it was so refreshing to be with a group of people who were so honest and authentic with each other. In other words, this person was expressing what happens when you see freedom going on in relationships. See, we think that admitting our limitations or our brokenness is going to create sort of a restriction or a barrier in our relationships, but what we discover is actually admitting those things creates connectivity. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. He said, friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, what, you, you too? 
I, I thought I was the only one. Freedom. Limitation brings freedom. So if you struggle with accepting your limitations between Christmas and New Year's, it's probably not going to work to just write down some sort of resolution to spend less or eat less or watch less. The statistics are really good that only about 8% of people keep their New Year's resolution. So, so here's what that means. If, if there's 10 of you lined up in a row, it, it means that actually none of you keep your New Year's resolution. <laughs> Instead, let me suggest that in a quiet moment between you and God, that you open your hands in friendship to the one who's a closer friend than a brother, who opened his hands on the cross. Open your hands to take hold of the freedom that God has for you and ask this question, which limitations am I avoiding? Certainty brings rest. Limitations bring freedom. And so we come to the third and and most comforting word from Psalm 90, from the last part of it, and that's the word dependence. That's reliance or or confidence or trust. Like, I was depending on John Watkins to hold that ladder when I was up on the very top step that I shouldn't have been standing on. Dependence. And what we see in the Bible is that dependence brings fulfillment. Dependence brings fulfillment. This is what Jesus was talking about when he said, apart from me, You can do nothing, but if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. It's the same principle at the end of Psalm 90 that we see in the prayer requests that are all about fulfillment. And so we see in verses 13 and 14 this request to to satisfy us, God, with your unfailing love. That's that special word for God's loyal, stick-to-it kind of love, stick-with-us-through-all-things love. God, fill us up with that. God, make us glad. For many, many, many days, more than we can count, not just Merry Christmas once a year, but but glad every single day of the year. Establish, God, the work that we're doing. That's what that last prayer request is. It's a prayer request to, to give us purpose and meaning and make the things that we're engaged with have lasting value. For many of us, the in-between means waiting for just that, waiting for meaning or purpose or value. And Psalm 90 says, while we're waiting, ask, because God is the source for these. We should pray to God and ask, ask these things from him. We can rely on him, and we can depend on him. But it's hard for us to do that, because we want to be self-reliant and self-determining. You know that song, that country song, it's a great song, Jesus, take the wheel. We don't really mean that. We really prefer autonomous driving, Usually with God in the rearview mirror, like looking back and, oh, God, that was such a great spiritual time at church or that special service or that beautiful sunset way back there. Or we kind of prefer God to be sort of way out there. God, I know someday down the road I'll have a spiritual moment with you. It's much harder to find a handhold with God in the day-to-day reality of ordinary times. In the in-between, between Monday and Friday, between the first day of work and your next vacation, between getting the kids out of bed and getting them fed and and getting out the door to work, between running to the grocery store, coming home and making dinner, and going back to bed and getting back up and doing it again. In the ordinary times, dependence is hard because when we get down to it, we think we have to find fulfillment on our own. We might pray, but after amen, we take hold of our lives and we get on with our real work of managing the universe and its context. 
It's helpful to think about this quote from another pastor. Do you think God can be trusted? Or do you think you need to take things into your own hands? This was a question I was wrestling with almost all of 2017. Do I think I can trust God? Can I depend on him? Will he lead me where I want to go towards fulfillment? When I think about this question, I think about a, a time, this time of year, when I took uh, Deb and the kids on a vacation. My father has spent his entire retirement working at Disney World, so guess where we went. Uh, so we go down to Disney World, and as we're heading into the park, Christmas is one of the busiest times there. I'm doing the mental math because there's a lot of places to lose your kids between when you leave the house and when you're in the theme park. You have to park the car, walk to the tram, get off the tram, walk to the ticket place, walk in the door. And I'm doing the math. And we got four adults, my parents and Deb and I, and four kids. So it's like, good, we've got man-to-man coverage, right? So every one of us takes a hand and heads in. And you know, when you're walking with your kids in a place like that, often at some point during the day, they realize that when things get kind of chaotic and busy and there's a lot going on, it goes better for them if they hold your hand. You're going to take them to the promised land, the Disney World, or wherever they need to go. And... At some points during that day, you can actually feel their hands sort of just slide up into your hand because they know they need to hold your hand to get where they want to go. And I got to tell you, as a dad, that is one of the most precious feelings that you can have. But you don't just get it as a dad. You could be an uncle or a cousin or just a babysitter, and you know that that child is trusting you, is depending on you, is relying on you, is comforted by you. This is the picture of the Heavenly Father's heart for us when we depend on him in fulfillment in prayer. And if that kind of prayer and that kind of fulfillment of trusting God is something that you want in 2019, it's probably not going to work to just decide to pray more as your New Year's Eve resolution. I got to tell you, I've been to a lot of Bible studies, a lot of church services, a lot of conferences, and a lot of people say to me, oh, I got to pray more. That's my takeaway. And I always want to go back and find them and say, how's that working for you? Because the reality is, it's challenging for us to pray more. So instead of just saying, I want to pray more, in between things, in a quiet moment, with your hands open to one who's waiting to take your hand and lead you towards great purpose and meaning, answer this question, what am I holding back? What am I holding back? Because what keeps us from praying isn't our schedules and our calendar. It's actually our need to grasp and manage and control our own universes. And so as we head into 2019, we're actually asking everyone at all of our grace locations to have this posture of open hands and open hearts towards God, towards what he has for us with a readiness to receive all that God has for us in 2019. So today at all of our locations in our chair backs in front of you, we have these cards with a G on them. I I think of them as G cards. Uh, This is an opportunity for you to think about what it is that you might be holding back from God. And we're going to give you an opportunity to take that and bring it to the cross in our closing song in a few minutes. But uh, what I want to encourage you to think about is what you might write down on this card. You might need to write down on this card that you want to open up your hands to God and, and offer to him your career or, or a relationship or, or, or that sense of control that you desperately think you want but you know you can't have with your life. 
Or maybe you need to let go of your anger or your lust or some other trouble or concern that's bothering your heart. In in a few minutes, we're going to give you an opportunity to write that uh, on that card and and bring that card to the cross. Before we do that, I'd love to pray for you to to end this time of our message. And I just want to invite you to to open up your hands as a sign of openness to God. and, And let me pray for you.